Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Today's episode is episode 37. We hope you had a happy Thanksgiving last week and uh, look forward to the show today. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Man, it's good. It's good. And we are actually recording this on Black Friday. It's not a deal where we're you know recording it early. We're actually uh, recording it. And, and Josh, as I told the people last week, my goal is to hopefully get the show out today on Black Friday because we, we came in the office today and uh, to get this recorded just for those folks who were on the deer stand or out Black Friday shopping. So we hope you, hope you enjoy it. Yeah, man, I'm, uh, we're putting in the putting in the extra work today. Yeah, Josh. But before we go any further, we got to pay some bills, and so that means we need to thank our sponsor, who is again FreshBooks. They are the number one cloud accounting solution designed exclusively for small business owners who bill for their time. If you go to globalenergymedia.com/accounting, you can join the over 10 million businesses worldwide who use FreshBooks to make paperwork a breeze. Start your free. 30-day trial by going to globalenergymedia.com slash accounting. Awesome. Well, Ryan, we have a couple of pieces of uh, information, some news here that we want to we want to jump into. Um, before we do, uh, we had a, a, a couple of people reach out to us about where they can find the show, Ryan. I believe, uh, obviously, we're on iTunes. Right, right. We're on iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, which are kind of the big three, but we kind of recommend if you're using, uh, you can use this for an iPhone or an Android, the Spreaker app. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker. Uh, they have an app, and you can go and subscribe to all of the Global Energy Media shows, um, which is the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, Oil and Gas Market Recap, and Energy Week. Um, you can get all those subscribed right there. Also, if we ever do a live show, which we've talked about, I know, Josh, um, you'll be able to uh, follow along right there. A couple other things, Josh, before we go on. One one, if you could leave us a rating in iTunes, we really appreciate it. iTunes is still the biggest platform uh, for podcast consumption, so getting a rating and review in iTunes, Josh, we haven't, we've never said this publicly, but this show right here is in the top fifty percent of all podcasts in the world. Now, you might go, well, that's you know fifty percent, but there's you know <laughs> thousands and thousands of podcasts, and this show right here is in the top fifty percent of all the shows. You know, compared to you know some of the big shows like uh, you know Ben Shapiro or you know Oprah or whoever. You know, we, we're the top 50%, so we're very proud of that. Um, another thing, Josh, is questions. We talked about doing a question and answer show. We'd love to hear from you, Ryan, at globalenergymedia.com. You can reach out to me and let me know, hey, yeah, I'd like to participate, shoot some questions in for that. And um, and so if we do that, Josh, we would do that probably the first Friday of the month, and so maybe January, uh, maybe the first Friday in January or first Friday in February, if we hear from you, the listeners. And the final thing, Josh, we want to mention is this week I was talking to someone about uh, are hosting our show somewhere else. You know, we host our show, um, you know, from the office right now, but um, we are, we have had people reach out and say, hey, would you come to our office and do the show? And the answer to that is yes, we would do the show from your office. Um, if you email me, ryan at globalenergymedia.com, we can work out the details for having the show hosted at your office. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, this week we have uh, a few pieces of, of news, a lot of it surrounding OPEC. There's been uh, several articles coming out uh, talking about some of the OPEC cuts. I believe they have a meeting coming up on November the 30th where they're going to discuss their plans for 2018. Uh, so it's something that we're, you know, we're eagerly watching and waiting to see what they decide to do, whether they will continue those cuts like everyone thinks they will. Um, you know, it's, it's something we're never sure of, though. So, 
looking forward to seeing how that plays out. That's going to be a big key uh, to looking at 2018 stability and what the market does. Um, but the first article we have is from the Oil and Gas 360. The title of the article is No Slowdown for OPEC Shale Showdown. And it is talking about how the U.S. economy has been becoming a, a bigger export player of, of oil and gas. And uh, they are talking about OPEC um, and what their plans are for the coming year. Ryan, do you take a look at the article? Uh, what do you think about some of the, the mentions they have in there that OPEC made their first cuts since 2008 uh, this year and the effects it's had on the economy and what you think that looks like going forward? Yeah, I think, Josh, and I know we've got a few more articles that are going to hit similar topics from this same thing. But to me, uh, I hope the listeners appreciate this. We try to cover this because it is very important for us in Texas trying to figure out how are we going to make money long term. Uh, I think everyone agrees that 2018 is going to be a good year for the Texas oil and gas business or, you know, Texas, New Mexico, you know, even Oklahoma. You know, obviously the U.S. show producers, the Balkans looking well. But on this show, we're, we're more concerned about this. And everyone is, is, is very optimistic about this. Now, the concern comes from the fact that there are a lot of things, and Josh, we talk offline about this some, we don't talk about much on the show, there are a lot of signs out there that kind of give mixed signals about the stability of the U.S. shell producers. Now, one of the things we've said on this show multiple times is, you cannot say U.S. shell producers, and it's not it's not the same as saying OPEC. You have Josh's company, and you have Ryan's company, and you have Bob's company, and you have Sherry's company, and all these companies, and they're all doing their own thing, right? And so when we're saying U.S. shell producers, or what I'm saying is specifically, I'm not saying every single one of them, but what I am saying is, is there there are some things, and one of the things this article is talking about here is that you you have OPEC, which is trying to figure out how to navigate the, the, the market right now. And there's a lot of problems inside of OPEC. One of the biggest problems inside of OPEC is some of their their um, their countries are so dependent on oil that they need the price of oil to be extremely high for them to be profitable. It's not it's not necessarily the same as in the U.S. where we need the price uh, to be high for company X to make profit on the, on the well they're drilling. They have to you know make profit on the well, obviously. But on top of that, they're trying to make profit for um, you know to, to feed their country essentially. So it's 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 it's, a, it's just a different dynamic there altogether. Now, what you're going to see here is OPEC is trying to figure out how does it navigate this stream. It likes where the price is at now. It wants the price to be higher. The fear that OPEC has, and it's a, it's a justified fear, is that the U.S. shell producers, as this price continues to climb, they're going to come in and say, oh, wow. Um, price at seventy five, price at eighty. We got to go drill like crazy and drill and and you know and make our money while we can, which would then drive the price back down. And OPEC doesn't want that. So it's a very interesting dynamic right now because you're you're seeing that you know OPEC, which is um, a large organization that does have a, a, a the ability at least on some level to say, hey, this is what we're going to do as, a, as an organization, is trying to figure out what do. Uh, we do to balance out these U.S. producers. Now, I think the biggest thing is is that what we talked about on this show, and other people have reported uh, in more depth, is U.S. show producers right now are getting pressure from Wall Street. They're saying, hey, Wall Street, we want you to focus on giving returns to your investors, which means that these, these crazy ramped-up drilling programs we've seen historically probably won't happen. Also, we've talked about in the show is that companies, not all, but some, are going to cash. If they're going to cash, they're not going to ramp up production like they have historically because they don't have these large credit lines that are just sitting out there for them to tap into. So I think that right now it's a very interesting time. You know, if you go back to when the price fell 
and you kind of start following the trend and following the news, it was pretty quick. You could see, okay, this is how much oil we have. This is the production. The production is increasing. The price is going to go down. No real shocker there. And so you, we kind of followed that to the bottom. Well, on the way up, we've kind of, in, on this show and before the show, we've kind of uh, watch these things, and there's these different indicators where you're like, okay, huh, if this happens, then this is good. If you remember, Josh, um, or when we started the show, I was kind of uh, not exactly overly bear, uh, bullish rather, on the price of oil long-term just because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Was OPEC going to extend the cuts? Were the U.S. shell producers not going to drill it down as, it, as the price comes up? And so far, they haven't. So it's a very interesting time right now, and it's, it's a, not from the standpoint of jobs, because that's one of the sh- things on the show we talk about is people getting jobs, but just from the standpoint of looking at the numbers and the trends, it's a very interesting time because no one's exactly sure of what is going to happen in 2018. Yeah, Ryan, it's uh, it's very interesting. You know, sometimes I'll wonder if OPEC, if they see all this drilling, if they see uh, all these companies in the Permian going going crazy and, and trying to take advantage of the market, just you just wonder if they're going to get frustrated and, and just start drilling like crazy because they could actually... Um, they could handle the lower prices, I think, as a whole better than individual companies could in the U.S. And I just wonder, I just wonder, you know, if, if the prices, if they start to move in the right direction and then, per, you know, Permian and, and some of these uh, U.S. companies start to really overdrill and pull those prices back down. I just wonder, I wonder if there's a possibility that OPEC may get frustrated and uh, and, and make a move like that. I, I don't know if that it would be beneficial to them. Um is that something like that even possible? Well, I mean, I think you got to think about like this. OPEC, um, everybody in the oil and gas business wants to make a lot of money. That's why you go in the oil and gas business. You're, you're there to make a lot of money. Um, and OPEC is trying to figure out right now, since the shale revolution, how to deal with the U.S. shale producers. I think when you look at the amount of reserves, the proven reserves that, that are in the U.S. compared to other um, places like you know Saudi Arabia or Venezuela, they, they, they obviously have the advantage there. Um, but what they don't have the advantage are, or, or is that there's not, you know, hundreds and hundreds of companies that are going to go out there and actively borrow money and drill and, you know, and just you know, ramp up overnight. Um, it's a lot different for a Saudi Aramco, you know, just to use them because they are a lot bigger company. Um, and so I, I think what you're seeing here is that if you look at the Saudi Aramco IPO and you kind of look at what's been going on with that, um, here was a week, two weeks ago, you saw that. Uh, they went and arrested a bunch of people for corruption. And so I, I think what you see is, is that you have a lot of people from OPEC who came to the U.S. who were educated at some of our top schools and have gone back to OPEC uh, nations. But what's interesting, Josh, and this is you know it's one of these things you talk about culturally, is that when they do stuff, like they round up all these people under the, under the pretenses of corruption – well, the U.S. folks looked at that and went, man, that looks pretty corrupt to me. Like, we, we didn't look at that and go, that was a good thing. And so we, so we have a way in the U.S. that we view the world, okay? We have a way that we view business. And they have a way that they view business. And then you take that with OPEC, you have all these different nations who are trying to align their interests for the better good of OPEC. And that's not always the case. So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. And... Um, I don't know what they're going to do, to be quite honest with you. There's people who are far more studied on that, on what they're going to do. I will say this. I think the biggest thing right now with OPEC is this Saudi Aramco IPO. Until that goes forward, I think that they are going to play it more conservative, just from the standpoint of they want, they want this IPO to go really well. 
And if it doesn't go well, that would be more detrimental to Aramco, obviously, and, and Saudi Arabia and the OPEC overall than you know making everyone mad, uh, playing the price right now. So I think they're going to safe play it until the IPO gets out. Now, after that, I think it's kind of, I don't want to say free game, but I think that's when we really want to watch to see what happens is after the IPO. So what that means is for this year is it should be good for the price, assuming the U.S. shell producers then don't go and drill down the price. That's kind of the OPEC's fear is, is that OPEC's like, you know what, we've had these cuts, we've had these cuts, the price has gone up. And then now they're afraid that the U.S. shell producers are going to ramp up 2018 and drill the price back down. And so everyone is is really trying to figure out what to do. And I think one of the things is, Josh, many, many episodes ago, we said very early on is when you look at this stuff, OPEC versus Permian or, OP, you know, or whatever, none of that makes sense because there is no such thing as Permian Company A. You know, I mean, there may be a, a Permian producer company, but, 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 but inside the Permian, there's you know we talked about the, these producers on the show. You got Exxon and Energen and ConocoPhillips and you know Pioneer and Apache. You got all these companies who have their own interests inside the U.S. It's not the same when you go look at OPEC and how they work. And so that's what's so hard to understand about all of this is that you have the U.S. producers, and it's, as, as I said a minute ago, it's not it's not the same as saying OPEC when you say U.S. producers. Each U.S. producer has its own thing it's trying to do, and it doesn't really care necessarily what its neighbor is trying to do. You know, so ConocoPhillips isn't concerned what Exxon's trying to do. It's worried about ConocoPhillips and how does ConocoPhillips make money, and uh, OPEC's not the same way. So you have all of these factors you're trying to figure out, um, and that's what makes it so hard. So to answer your question, I think if I had to make an official prediction that OPEC will extend the cuts, and they're going to extend the cuts at least through the Aramco IPO and once that process is kind of settled. After that, I think that's when we sit back and we try to figure out, um, you know, what will OPEC stand to be long term. Um, and, and the IPO and the stock price, I think, will play a bigger part of that. Well, Ryan, uh, we, we, you're speaking of some of these uh, the gas glut we mentioned last week a little bit. There's a, a pretty interesting article that came out with Seeking Alpha. Um, they said the growing gla- uh, gas glut threatens West Texas oil boom. What they're predicting is a 20% decrease in, uh, in gas prices due to the Permian Basin, the production of gas there, and there not being enough uh, pipeline uh, left to, to transport this gas. I mean, they are, they are filled to the top, basically, is what they're saying. So there is this issue where natural gas prices are going down because there's so much of it. And they lack the capability of transporting even more. Uh, so right now they need to, what they're saying, they need to make some plays to get some pipelines in the ground so that they can transport more of this gas. Because because right now they've, uh, I mean they're full. So that that's a that's a pretty interesting uh, topic. You know we mentioned a little bit last week, and on that, uh, Ryan, we have another article that came out that looks at the Permian and is questioning how long the Permian is going to be sustainable. Uh, Originally, some of the dates had it to 2025, getting up to, I think, 5 million barrels a day. This guy is saying, if we go and look at some of the trajectories from the Bakken and Eagleford, um, they're, they're thinking that with some of these child whales and the lower production from those whales, that there's a possibility that this thing may peak around 2021, which would be a whole different dynamic. Um, so looking through some of this, some interesting things uh, to, to keep note of and, and to kind of watch the trajectory of, but uh, the technology plays a huge part in, in what's going to take place in the Permian over the next three to five years. 
And uh, just wondering what your take on some of that was, Ryan. Yeah, and I, like I told you offline, Josh, there's a there's a report that I'll send you uh, from uh, the former CEO of EOG, and we'll, we'll talk about that on the show next week. He actually addressed this very topic. So I want, I want to take these separately. First off, the growing glass uh, gas glut. Well, this comes from the Wall Street Journal. As you mentioned, it's on Sinking Off as well, so we'll link to both of them in the show notes. But um, the Wall Street Journal article, which is a little bit more in-depth, talks about – this is the problem we looked at last week. We said, hey, um, you know, these these folks are mad that they're flaring off, you know, less than 1% of the gas in, in the state of Texas. Well, here here's the reality of the situation. If we go back to what we just talked about, okay, and we say, how do U.S. shale producers continue to, you know, go out there and not drill down the price? Well, one of the issues they're going to have is is that it, as they continue to drill wells – uh, in the Permian, if they if their oil to gas ratio or gas to oil ratio, however you want to say it, uh, if there's more gas in each well that they drill, if that if that number keeps going higher, then the price of oil has to go up for them to make money. Because what's happening is is that um, they're if they're getting more gas and the gas prices are going down, then each well becomes less profitable. So if you go back to the OPEC discussion and you say, well, okay, well, what's going to happen here in the long term? Now we'll get to the sustainability of the Permian in a second, but just from a number standpoint, one of the things that's interesting to me is, it, we, we've said before on the show is, if you assume that these CEOs are smart people, and I, and I do, then you also assume that they drill the best wells first, which means the longer that, the, that these drilling programs go on, the higher probability that the wells will be less profitable. And this article is reflecting some of that, and it's unprofitable for a couple reasons. One, because you have more natural gas. Now, if natural gas prices were to spike, right, if natural gas went over to $7 overnight, this wouldn't even be a problem. All of a sudden, those wells in the Permian become you know, way more valuable because now they have oil at $60 a barrel and they have natural gas at $7. Well, that's not going to happen, though. That's not the projection right now. The projection for natural gas is you know, lower for longer, and there's really no, um, in the short term, any hope that it'll you know, climb above where it's at right now, which is around three dollars. Um, so this is a this is a negative sign. Now, I don't think to go to the next article, the sustainability of the Permian. I, I think the other thing here is that we have to consider is if we if we go back to the we've drilled the best wells first. We have drilled the best wells first. I think it's safe to say, Josh, that 2018, 2019, 2020. I think those are all good years uh, for the Texas oil and gas industry. From the drilling standpoint, I think those. Are, I think I think that's a safe bet. Okay, will it go out to twenty twenty five? There are a lot of factors that um, th- that we're not getting to today that make me go. I don't know if it'll go out to twenty twenty five. And there's so much that can change, Josh, between now and then, right? I mean, there could be uh, a massive war that breaks out, or uh, the economy just hits so much growth, or, or, or some kind of factor like that. Or you know, you have uh, Venezuela comes back online and they start producing much oil that that. That 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 uh, sends the price spiraling spiraling downward. So there's so much you can't look that far ahead. But if you're just kind of going with this with kind of a safe bet to 2020, textile and gas business from the producer standpoint should be very fun. Now, as we said before on the show, what that means is that pipelines and things like that they will go on after that because they still got to keep up with the increase of, of uh, production. Um, but I think here the takeaway is is if you look at these two articles, there are indicators that make you go, okay, well, how do us, how do we in the U.S. navigate these streams? Because we, we have more gas to come in these Permian wells, and companies aren't going to want it because 
it's not profitable. So they're not going to want to build a lot more pipelines. So are you going to flare it off? Are you going to pay a company to build a pipeline just to get rid of it for you? You can try to sell it to Mexico. Well, the Mexican infrastructure to process all that natural gas isn't really in place yet. It, it will be there, um, but it's a timing issue, right? So if you if you have the natural gas now, you need to get rid of it now. You don't you know you can't get rid of it in three years or five years. So it's a very macro issue. You look at it and you, you sit back and you go, man, how do you how do we best thread this needle and because there are so many interests that are involved here and there's so many moving parts it's i I don't really know how anyone could take a firm stance and say um yes i'm 100 percent confident this is what's going to happen because if if you just take this uh the mexican influence for instance you say well over the next year um the infrastructure for mexico gets built into place where they can receive more natural gas quicker uh, and they can use it well all of a sudden that changes all these projections that's probably not going to happen, but if it does, or if you look at um, 20% of all the LNG contracts in the world are going up for grabs over the next year to two years. Okay, well, if the U.S. lands a certain amount of those, well, then U.S. shale producers can sell the, the LNG, um, their natural gas, to be converted to LNG for those contracts. Well, Ryan, you know, we have uh, one more article that I wanted to uh, to talk about, and it, it really ties really well into what you're talking about with some of the opportunities in Mexico and uh, it's this uh, Sergio. We we have him on the show uh, maybe like once a month. But he has an article that he posted on the San Antonio Business Journal about the Texas oil and gas industry sees opportunities in NAFTA negotiations. And this has to do with uh, import export from you know across the border, specifically for our interest, Mexico. You know we talk a lot about Mexico on the show, and they do have a need for natural gas. Um, and you know, like you said, they don't have the infrastructure. Uh, to be able to handle uh, the 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 gas and and oil that they need to to power uh, some bigger cities, so that is the opportunity that we have, especially for natural gas. If we could figure out a way to um, assist Mexico or even go in and and build pipelines in Mexico, which is one opportunity, then we can start transporting and exporting um, large-scale natural gas to Mexico that I think would be a very profitable venture, and it would really, I think, uh, take care of some of this demand that we have for natural gas and some of the glut. Yeah, and and Josh, a few weeks ago we talked about um, the hurricane and government regulation and price gouging, and we we said, you know what, we're trying to be sensitive, we're trying to think of all this stuff, but the fear is, is that we don't want the government involved. And I think that same principle applies here. We don't, th- this is this is one of the things that you're sitting back and you're going, this is a no-brainer. And Sergio Chapa, you know, we said it before, if you want to know what's going on at Eagleford, he is the best in the business. So I'm not in any way critiquing what Sergio said. He's just reporting the facts. I'm commenting on the facts that he reported, just so there's no confusion here. It's not like that 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 Forbes guy we got on or Bernie Sanders. <laughs> it's not it's not like that, Josh. This is actually uh, Sergio's done a good job, and we're just we're commenting on it. But you know, it's uh, <laughs> I went back and listened to that by the way, and I, I oh Bernie, you took a beating. But anyways, uh, if you missed that, that was last week's show, thirty six. Um, but here's the thing, and this is what's so frustrating. Um, we have Mexico, which has a need for U.S. products. You have U.S. companies who need to get their products to market. And especially, as we just talked about, we have U.S. companies who have natural gas they want to get rid of. We don't need the federal government in the way here. That just hurts the process. Now, the only thing I could think that you could think of, and if you have a comment on this, maybe you're a producer or a company and you go, you know what, you, you missed this, Ryan at GlobalEnergyMe.com. We'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it. But, you know, for me, the only thing I could think of when I was looking at this is, you know, if you sold something to Mexico and they didn't pay you, well, how would you get um, 
you know, your payment? What would you do? And so I, I guess that I, I guess that you know what you which what, what we need is is some kind of general agreement that says that contracts between U.S. companies and Mexico companies when it crosses the border, uh, the court system that we use is X, Y, and Z. But beyond that. We don't need anything else. We don't need all these tariffs. We don't need these regulations. We don't need all that stuff. We need to be able to let the market work. And right now, the market in Mexico is is saying, hey, send me products. And the U.S. producers are wanting to send them there. Now, obviously, the Mexican energy reform is a great example of this. Mexico had to change the whole way they do their energy business because it wasn't working. So they had to get the government out of the business. And so what we're saying here is, is just take that, that same logic, and just expound upon it and say, you know what? Here's more. So I am not a big fan of these trades and treaties, and I'm not a fan of them from the standpoint of I don't want us to do international business. I'm a, I'm I'm in the standpoint of I want us to do international business, and this is a no-brainer here. Just l- let the companies from the U.S. and the Mexican company work out the deal. Have a simple agreement that says if there's a dispute, um, we handle it through whatever legal system we want to. Whether it's maybe some cases it's the Mexican system, some cases it's the U.S. system, um, or maybe it's a deal where. You know, Josh, you come and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do a deal in Mexico unless we handle it in the U.S. system, and the Mexican people have to agree to that. Or the Mexican people say, we're not going to do a deal unless you uh, handle it through um, our system. Yeah, okay, well, that's fine. That's that's Everyone can kind of either do that or they don't have to do that. That's up to them. But but something really simple. Uh, because if you start looking internationally, how you get them, it, you know, there's always questions about, you know, okay, well, you got to have these LLCs. you got to have these tax setups. How do you get your money back? There's all of this headache. And it's such a nightmare that it just stifles small businesses who could bring value to these, to these other countries. Well, Ryan, we have uh, one final article that we want to touch on before we close up for today. Um, this one is Earthstone sets course for Permian with a $27 million Bakken sale. This is a kind of our jobs roundup where we talk about something that's going on in a recent sale or purchase. Uh, this was in, um, this was recently, this uh, was posted, I believe on the 21st. Um, so Stad Oil bought for 27 million, 1,320 net non-operating acres in the McKenzie and Dunn counties. Um, I believe it's uh, one major well that they're planning to drill there if i'm not mistaken um and it looks like they uh recently took possession and i expect that um they they saw a good opportunity what they're saying here is that the bakken is really trying to focus on the the midland basin and trying to get out of out of the bakken area or stone rather is trying to get out of the bakken and get into the midland basin and so they're trying to unload a lot of their assets uh, from the area. Yeah, and that's because, and this is, we'll go over this in the report next week from uh, Papa that I mentioned. And, you know, that's because a lot of the tier one assets in the Bakken are already being uh, drilled up, and the same thing with Eagleford. And so, um, you know, the Permian does have more tier one assets that are, are left to be drilled. But the other thing is, Josh, as you mentioned, you know, <laughs> I think we talked about this with someone going up to North Dakota at one time. If you're a company and you're working up in North Dakota and you're listening to this, this is your chance to get the Permian, you know, if you're, <laughs> because if you're working for these guys up in North Dakota, here's your chance to flip it. Also, they do have work in the Eagle for Now, this is a one-rig deal they're looking at for next year, I believe, so it's not like you're talking a ton of work, but guess what, Josh? I tell you what, man, you know, one, you know getting a service client with one rig is, is better than nothing. Well, Ryan, uh, capping everything off today, um, I looked at the rig count. I, honestly, I'm not sure if they updated or not, Ben's, that it, uh, it's Thanksgiving week, uh, but it says that it stayed the same. There was zero change on the, on the 
uh, drilling index. Uh, I checked it about 30 minutes ago. It said it had no change. So either it had no change or they didn't update the website. Um, are there any, I don't believe we have any uh, conferences or anything coming up for the rest of the year, really. Uh, I think I think it's all looking for 2018. Is that right? That's right, Josh. In fact, my last full work day is uh, December 7th, and then I take off half a day from December 8th through the rest of the year. Now, we will still be doing the Texas Oil and Gas podcast all the way through the end of the year, of course. But uh, for me, it is one I've got next week, and then uh, halfway through December 8th, I will uh, be done with my normal day-to-day duties. I have uh, book projects I'm working on. I've got the research firm we're getting ready to launch and uh, all kinds of things that will keep me busy during my vacation. But uh, yeah, so winding it down. No more conferences for me. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff that's coming up, Josh, as we talked about offline. And we mentioned some online. Again, if you're interested in having Josh and uh, myself host one of these shows at your office, let us know, Ryan, at GlobalEngineBee.com. We can get you the details. We will be going to NAEP. I know I'll be there. Um, I think David Blackman from Energy Week will be there. And uh, I don't know, Josh, we hadn't talked about it. Maybe maybe you'll make an appearance at NAEP this year. We'll see. We'll, we'll see if we can get that figured out um and um so yeah so that's kind of the next conference i have on 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 the docket but before we get out of here let's thank our sponsor which is again fresh books they are the number one cloud accounting solution oh join the over 10 million businesses worldwide who use fresh books to make paperwork a breeze start your 30-day free trial by going to globalenergymedia.com slash accounting and until next time keep climbing mm-hmm.